What time is it? Game time! Watford for the win! Yes! Yes! Gives it to Jenkins for the championship! Davis! Oh my god! Davis is going to run it all the way back! Auburn's going to win the football game! Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen, to yet another episode of Game Time with Garrison and Garrett. I'm your host, Garrison Hardy, and with me, as always, my co-host, Garrett Thigpen. Hey, Garrett, uh, it's time to talk some more college football. I can't wait. I'm having a great week so far. Garrison, how are you doing? Hey, I'm doing good. I'm doing good. You know, I was uh, was talking to a lady friend, you know, the week prior, uh, you know, trying to make some money moves there. But uh, yeah, uh, how's things been on the lawnmower side of things? Oh, selling like hotcakes. (laughs) <laughs> not actually it's it's uh the slow season moon season's over so uh, a little dead but yeah. you know yeah good yeah. year good year had a good year had a good run there you go excellent excellent well let's get ahead and uh, we got a lot to talk about here i mean there's there's lots of news in the land of college football um and then uh, we've got some gut reactions we're, we're bringing those segments that we brought in last week back into this show today folks so stay tuned and uh then of course we're going to talk about week 11 and some of the games there we're going to go through the playoff rankings we're going to look ahead at week 12 in-depth dive at some big games there and then finish with rapid fire that sounds good to me does it sound good to you garrett i am all in let's get started all right well you'll have to tune in next week folks to find no i'm kidding uh let's (laughs) get into it uh jimbo fisher he was fired can you believe it garrett fired from texas a&m it's not we've never talked about this before It, it didn't even pop in my head that he could be uh he could be fired so yeah this caught me a little by surprise um i just don't know what to think me neither uh yeah i know saw this one coming a mile away and you know we've been calling for it all season right and i don't think anyone's surprised huge underperformer pretty much most of his career and yeah when you're making that much money it you just can't you can't settle for that. And they've got the money to buy him out. So they did. And uh, I'm sure he's not going to be too upset with how much <laughs> money he's making off of this just to uh, potentially sit at home and make a make. A, what is it? Seventy five million. So, yeah. 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 He's owed between seventy five and seventy seven million dollars. And the money will come regardless of whether he finds a new head coaching job that that's according to the Associated Press. It's more than triple the largest known buyout given to a fired head coach. So that's what Jimbo's going to be known for going forward. And the Aggies. uh, Yeah, just a, a pretty dismal season thus far. I mean, um, you know, you could argue that, well, they weren't supposed to win these games, but uh, with the kind of talent that he was bringing in as far as recruitment wise, I mean, last year they had the best recruiting class in the country and this is the kind of output we're seeing. And again, you're, we're sounding like broken records here, folks, you know, we, we know it. And it, like you said, we saw this coming a mile away. Um, you could have made the argument that maybe they could have waited till the end of the season. Um, but you know, it, if they, they came out and wanted to be aggressive with this and start the, probably start the search immediately, they didn't want all the, uh, you know, maybe the 
headlines hanging over the the team's head for the le- the rest of the week, the season, I suppose. Uh, so they made this move now. Um, you know, I, I'm glad they I'm glad they made the move. They pulled the trigger, and um, now all the buzz can start for who's going to replace Jimbo at Texas A and M. And uh, already, Garrett, some names being thrown around, like. You know, Coach Prime, even though he's four and six at Colorado, by the way, or <laughs> uh, another one was Dan Lanning from Oregon, but he's already come out and said he's staying in Oregon. Um, so, so I mean, this is a pretty high-profile job, Garrett, regarding how much money that these boosters have, and just, I mean, you're in the SEC, so you know, it, it's a pretty high-profile gig. Yeah, I mean, we've seen how much money that they have in their recruiting classes. They have been able to bring in in at least the last few years um the expectations are really high and so you can say oh they weren't supposed to win these games but um you know they should be in a position where they're expected to win you know in this day and age almost every game they should be college football playoff contenders every year that's the expectations that they have so you know that's you know jimbo clearly didn't make that you know six and four is respectable for a middle of the road team but with the resources that they have that's that's pretty terrible. So yeah, whoever comes in is going to have a ton of expectations. Uh, but at the same time, they're going to have everything that they would possibly need at their fingertips to make it happen. So, um, I like think a good, a good coach is going to succeed no matter what. And mm-hmm. yeah, Dan Lanning has been thrown around. He has tried to make it clear he's going to stay, but you know, every coach does that at this point in the season. Right, so it's right. kind of hard to say, but money talks, um, Right, right. And uh yeah, we'll see. I don't know. Um a little early to say, but I thought it was funny they uh Texas A&M it comes after they they beat Mississippi State 51 to 10. Mm-hmm. So they fired him right after a dominating win, which was funny in and of itself, but then uh right after the game Mississippi State fired their their coach <laughs> as well, Zach Arnett. So both, just both teams them. just cut their <laughs> maybe they just uh swap spots but i don't think texan would uh no no go for that honestly but yeah no um uh that's probably i would assume the hot the most coveted opening this off season um i can't think of anything that would open up that would be more desired than texan m mm-hmm. um i don't know i don't think i don't know if I haven't heard anything about if Notre Dame's coach is on the hot seat yet. Right. Uh, probably a little early for him, but yeah, uh, pretty, uh, pretty big news. Even if we did see it coming regardless. Yeah. And uh, just for the folks at home, a couple other names that have been floating around Mike Norvell with Florida state. I just think it's funny that Texas a and like, okay, this Florida state coach <laughs> didn't work out. Let's go back to Florida state. <laughs> but, <laughs> right. Right. Um, and he is from Texas. So, you know, there's, there's some heartstrings attached there maybe. Um, or what about this Garrett urban Meyer comes back from retirement. He's already, he now, uh, I, I, I don't think it's going to happen. Let me be clear. But and urban Meyer has said that he's retired for good. So I I believe him when he says that this time around, but this right. just seems like that kind of scenario where he would come in and and I mean it, at Texas A and M I think they kind of need somebody with a little bit of power behind their name mm-hmm. or a politician who can appease some really powerful boosters and a guy like Urban Meyer with three rings 
you know, if a booster's getting a little uppity, he can just clang his ring on the table and say, shut up. You know, I, I'm in charge here. Uh, and they would listen. So, you know, that, I'm just throwing that out there. Urban Meyer to Texas A&M. Yeah, I mean, again, I don't think it's going to happen. Right. Uh, he, he, yeah, Urban Meyer, he's he really, with his uh, attempted stint in the NFL, really kind of hurt his name a little bit. Mm-hmm. I don't think it carries the prestige that it used to. Um, I think he's done well for himself getting into broadcasting. At this point, I think he's probably going to be happy with that. And right. I think that's probably he. I mean, maybe he, he could be the kind of coach that they need. Um, but at this point in his career, I think it probably is best to uh, call to it stick good. with his, his his broadcasting in my in my opinion. Right. Right. Well, in any case, folks, that those are some of the names being thrown around. And before we move on, Garrett, like it, do you think? Do you think Texas A&M, I, I understand that they have very high standards and expectations. They have a ton of money behind the program. They've pumped a ton of money into the program. Are their expectations too high? I mean, this is a program that has had, I, I heard a crazy, I think it was two 10-win seasons within the last three decades. Now, Texas A&M has never been synonymous with winning in football. Are their expectations too high, especially given that now Texas and Oklahoma are joining the SEC next year? The competition's only going to get tougher. Um, I get what you're saying with history. They're not a historically dominant football program. Uh, but just given the amount of money that they have and the recruits that they've been able to get, their team is good enough that they should be doing a lot, a lot better than they are. Um, so I, I, in my opinion, I think it's fair. I think that, you know, tradition doesn't actually win you anything. What mm-hmm. is like tradition? What, what tradition gets you recruiting? That's probably it gets you money in recruiting. Right. When Texas A&M has those, whether they're a traditional powerhouse or not. So I think that once you've got elite recruiting classes and a talented team for multiple, multiple years and there's no improvement and you're supposed to be, uh, you know, one of the best coaches in the country. That's why they paid you like that. Mm-hmm. Then I think it's fair to have that high expectations. Yeah, that's fair. Well, we're just going to have to wait and see what Texas A&M does here uh, going forward. So Jimbo Fisher fired. And now it sounds like another coach is apparently out or reportedly out UCLA. It seems like they're going to fire chip Kelly. Uh, any, any thoughts there, Garrett? I mean, to me, this seems like it's coming out of left field a little bit. Like, he got off to a slow start at UCLA, you know, no doubt. Yet it's not like he's been utterly successful with the Bruins. He's 33-33 and 33 overall. They're 6-4 and four this season. Uh, and they've had back-to-back losses uh, against Arizona and Arizona State that have not looked good, especially against Arizona State. I mean, come on. Um I guess I'm just kind of surprised. Uh, it seemed like, you know, they have a brand new quarterback this year. You know, if they, if they went seven and five, I kind of would have thought, yeah, decent season. But maybe it's just that time uh, heading into the Big Ten. And again, folks, this is this. These are according to sources, not confirmed. Yeah, it's a little bit surprising. I, I, it's just one of those things that I wouldn't have been thinking. Oh, man, he's on the hot seat. But mm-hmm. I don't think it's crazy. Um, I mean, he's been improving again. This isn't a program that was, uh, 
you know, necessarily dominant right. uh, before mm-hmm. Chip Kelly came in, but they were still a solid program and they've been able to recruit. It's a desirable location, obviously. And this time of year, you know, he's improved the team, I think, mind. from his from where he started when he first joined. Um, they were the a, Home Depot kids you know, a bottom feeder in the Pac-12. And the last it's few years, they, you know, eight wins, nine wins. Uh, this season, probably looking at, like you said, maybe a seven and five season, which is a, a little, you know, it's it's pretty average. Mm. Uh, it's a bit of a step back from the last couple seasons, but I, I don't know. I mean, these are the kind of, you know, he, we're seeing him potentially be fired for the same results that Jimbo got at Texas A&M. Right. And I think that it's a different level. They should have different levels of expectations. Mm-hmm. Um, usually it doesn't have nearly the talent, but I don't know. I'm guessing that this is sort of a move that maybe they're saying that we're not going to settle for eight and four, nine and four. Right. They, they're shooting for the moon, which I mean, like you said, moving to the big 10, that's going to be tough, mm-hmm. but maybe they just think that if they don't change anything, they're going to get run over. Right. And in their opinion, something has to change um, in order for them to actually compete in the big 10, which I, I think that's fair. Right. Yeah, uh, like you said, the competition is going to be ramping up here a little bit. Uh, so maybe it's time for a clean break. And it, maybe there's something off the field, too. You know, my guess is maybe Chip Kelly, he's just the type of guy who wants to show up, coach football, pl- run his scheme, be in the film room, studying and putting it all together. You know, there's no doubt that it, and he's revolutionized the game to an extent, but maybe also he's been left he's he's kind of been left behind in the evolution mm-hmm. of football a little bit um and uh, he doesn't strike me as the type of guy who's going to be great with boosters either so you know maybe maybe he hasn't ingratiated himself to the boosters and then when i look at the UCLA fan attendance i mean i've uh, they've had numerous televised games this year and it is just dismal the rose bowl yeah. is barely half full and that's that's just not going to cut it when you're heading to the Big Ten, I don't think. Um, the The Rose Bowl should be packed. And UCLA, when USC is good, UCLA always kind of transitions into this afterthought, especially in Los Angeles when you're already competing against teams like the LA Rams, the LA Chargers, the LA Lakers, the Clippers, the Dodgers, uh, the Angels. There's so much opportunity for entertainment out there already that – if right. if you're not in if you're not doing well off the field as well as on the I I, I don't know it, it, you you need probably something with a little more excitement uh, honestly like a Dan Lanning if he came in there and rejuvenated the program or something like that you know a, like you said a good coach is going to succeed no matter what and you know I think Chip has has done well in the past and he revolutionized the game but now maybe the game's left left him behind. A little bit so i yeah i understand I, the move i just just surprised by the timing a little bit yeah i think that's fair um and i think part of it could be and this is just my me speculating on it i don't know any of this but um you know chip kelly was known as sort of an offensive guru coming from oregon mm-hmm. and that's kind of that was kind of the allure of him and you look at 
UCLA this year, they brought in one of the top quarterbacks in the country and Dante Moore mm-hmm. and their offense is pretty mediocre. It's not very good. They've right. got a great defense and that's what's carried them to having a mildly successful season. They've got a fantastic defense. Um, but again, the offense has been pretty, pretty mediocre, a terrible passing attack too. And, you know, maybe that's part of it. They feel like our defense is great. We can attribute that to maybe they love their defensive coordinator mm-hmm. and the personnel they have defensively, but they don't think that Chip Kelly is just bringing much to the table right. to the team. Um, and they're like, you know, we hired him to be a uh, uh, high powered, exciting offense, and we're just not getting that. So, you know, what's the point here? They might yeah. just think that yeah. they can get more value somewhere else. So, um, yeah, that that's just a guess. I don't, you know, mm-hmm. again, mm-hmm. I don't know any of that, but yeah, yeah, could, could be a, a possibility. Yeah. Well, there you go, folks. Chip Kelly potentially on his way out at UCLA and the decision would likely be apparently the decision will likely be made after the UCLA game. Uh, so, you know, again, writing appears to be on the wall there. How about this? We'll stay in the pack 12 or the pack two rather Washington state and Oregon state win in court. The ruling grants Oregon state and Washington state full control of the pack 12. And uh, so this has to do with the 24 fiscal year, if I'm understanding this correctly. And basically, Garrett, uh, the decision comes, uh, this decision uh, is Judge Gary Libby. He granted a stay of the decision until Monday at no objection from OSU and WSU, of course. Um, And the decision comes two months after Libby granted a temporary restraining order at the request of OSU and WSU. My understanding is here, Washington State and Oregon State will now get pretty much all of the funds from this pack, all the, the pack 12 schools next year that used to be with the conference. They're now leaving. They don't get to touch that. And now Washington state and Oregon state could potentially give all of this money to mountain West schools and pay off their exit fees from the mountain West. And the mountain West uh, are essentially the pack 12 becomes the, the pack, the pack 12 with the mountain West. Um, so again, this isn't confirmed or anything like that, but, uh, that that's a move they could pull. Yeah. I think that, um, I think this is a big win for those schools. And I think most people are pretty happy about it. Um, again, we're, you know, we're not in the meetings. We don't know exactly what some of these, uh, schools intentions are. Right. Uh, but it, it seemed on the outside looking in that the, some of the departing, schools were looking to make decisions that would really hurt the conference once they left and hurt Washington state and Oregon state and put them in a bad position. And I think, you know, a lot of people kind of rallied to Washington state and Oregon state side that, you know, feeling bad for them that they were stuck in this position and kind of, so I think now, you know, obviously the leaving schools are very upset with this, but I think most people are like, Hey, you guys were trying to screw them over. So I think that they're in their right to do this. And mm-hmm. obviously the judge agreed. Right. So yeah, I, I, I'm fine with this decision. I don't think that, and I, I don't think Oregon State or Washington State is going to do anything. I saw people joking about them, you know, cut, cutting the, uh, cutting Oregon and, uh, 
like do, doing crazy things like cutting Oregon and Washington out of the Pac-12 championship game or stuff like that. I don't <laughs> think they're going to actually do anything crazy right. to screw these schools over. I think they're just looking out for themselves and, you know, potentially the future of the conference if they mm-hmm. can keep it together. So, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm excited. They both schools had a lot of excitement this year, even though Washington State, you know, fell off a little I, bit. I don't want to talk it, about it. it. It is what it is. But <laughs> yeah, I think that if they can somehow save the conference and recruit some of those teams from the Mountain West that are actually Western schools um, and keep that same Pac-12 feeling to it at least a little bit, then I'm all for it. Here's an idea, Garrett. Washington State and Oregon State recruit Michigan that was potentially threatening to leave the Big Ten (laughs) over this Jim Harbaugh stuff. What do we think? Yeah, um, I mean, that'd be a huge get for them. I hmm. think it'd be pretty weird, but <laughs> um, I mean, I, I don't see. I mean, maybe maybe Michigan would go to the SEC. I don't know. It'd be. Uh, I mean, it wouldn't be any weirder than you, you know, USC joining the Big Ten. So right. Um, yeah, I'm. Uh, I think that'd be a, that'd be a big get. Again, I don't think Michigan would do it probably. But again, I don't know what their other options would be other than maybe the SEC. But if they could get the SEC, they'd probably go there. But um, uh, I mean, I, I wouldn't be opposed to trying. Seeing as a so, anyways, I, I think this is a big win for WSU and Oregon State. And, you know, it, it was a common sense decision, in my opinion. If you're leaving a conference, you shouldn't get any say going forward. You know, you you give up by rule and by the conference bylaws, Oregon State and Washington State argued, you give up your seat at the conference council table. End of story. You don't get any say over this. So I, I think it's a common sense decision. I think it's a good decision by the court. And now WSU and Oregon State can potentially set themselves up for a, a more successful future here going forward, especially given that Washington State has dropped six straight games. Um, yeah. You know, now they're probably feeling a little bit more comfortable. Um, but mm-hmm. seeing as we just brought up Michigan, let's go to Michigan now. Jim Harbaugh, I mean, he's suspended for the rest of the regular season. Do I have that right? Yes, he's he's suspended for the rest of the regular season games. He's still coaching at practice and midweek, but he just can't show up to the games on Saturday. Mm. Which is crazy given that um, he was found in uh, the stands wearing a mustache. No, I'm kidding. No, I'm just, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> But you would have believed it. You hate Michigan. Um, oh, no. <laughs> uh, so, anyways, uh, this... To me, it to me, Garrett, this this is kind of just it, it. It doesn't really change a whole lot in my book. I mean, they've already done it for the four games previous, other than this last week, and uh, Michigan hummed along just fine. Yeah, um, I think the only game people were thinking, obviously, the Penn State one uh, this past week would have been the first. It was the first real test of their season in general, but people were wondering if it this suspension would affect them. This would be a good game to, uh, to find out. doesn't seem like it did. I mean, you know, he was suspended earlier in the season and the team just kind of used it as a rallying cry and, uh, something to, to motivate them. And everyone thought it was really corny then considering it was a self suspension. And they were saying free, uh, free Harbaugh. Mm. And I think most people think it's pretty corny now, the way they're acting, 
not that Jim Harbaugh <laughs> is just like sitting in a hotel next to the stadium uh, watching the game and like people are crying afterwards that he's not there. It's like, I think it's a little bit corny and excessive, right. but I mean, maybe obviously in a big game like the Ohio state one, it can have some effect, but honestly, I don't think that him not being there just during the game is going to have that big of a negative impact on him. And honestly, it might be a, a big enough motivating factor that it, it outweigh it counteracts the not having him there. Cause I mean, the coordinators are there to call plays anyway. Um, I, I don't know how much this hurts him because he, he's again, he's there at practice every week and he just can't show up to the game. And I think that the way that they use it as self-motivation, um, I think that it's not going to be that much of a negative on them. Yeah. And uh, what what was Jim Harbaugh's quote that you quoted earlier before we started the show? Do you have that by chance? Um. Yes. Let me let me see here. His uh his America quote, America's team. He said, "It's this has got to be America's team." Um, America loves a team that beats the odds, beats the adversity, overcomes what the naysayers, critics, so-called experts think. That's my favorite kind of team. So he thinks Michigan is uh, America's team now. Mm. So, you know, I'm not on board. I still want them to lose personally, but um, I don't know. Maybe some people, I, I think definitely there's a lot of people who are just, uh, you know, against the NCAA like yourself, but maybe even more so. And they just, they, uh, they think it's not a big deal and they'll, they'll rally around that. But at the, from what I've seen, all of the, uh, especially in like the media, all the people who are hugely coming out in support of Michigan, uh, a lot of them are just Michigan grads and like Michigan alumni. And I don't know. It seems like the neutral people are kind of, uh, you know, they're not rallying around them in that same manner. Like, oh, this is America's team. We're, we're so gung-ho for Michigan now because they're being so unjustly treated. I think most people are like, ah, I don't know. We'll see how this goes. You might be you might be getting dealt with fairly. I don't know. Right. Yeah. Um, I'm, you know, you know where I stand on this. I, I just, the NCAA, uh, so inconsistent over the years. And, you know, I, depending on what more information comes out, because it seems that new information is coming out left and right, supposedly. Um, if they can come up with some more concrete proof, then, you know, maybe my opinion and stance will change. But again, as a former college player myself, being in those meetings where we had access to a ton of film already, we already knew a ton of the team's tendencies and whatnot. I just, uh, to me, I just think this is really probably blown out. It's blown out of proportion. And on top of that, I'm sure a ton of other programs are doing stuff like this. So if the NCAA needs to bring the hammer down to make an example, you know, so be it. But let's just be consistent across the board. And again, before I, you know, I I won't go any further. We just need to see what the NCAA decides to do, I guess, at this point. Um, Now the Big Ten has made their move. Uh, I'm I'm sure the NCAA, I've I've been listening to a bunch of people on this, like Josh Pate with Late Kick. He says, get ready. You're not going to hear a decision until 2024. And that he's probably right on that. So it'll probably come after the yeah. season and um, we'll, we'll see what they do from here. 
Yeah, I'm not. Um, yeah, we'll just have to wait and see. I mean, we've we've talked about our thoughts on it. Um, I hope that it doesn't have to become a situation like the Astros, where they go and win, and then afterwards they'd be like, "Oh, yeah, you guys cheated like crazy. We're gonna give you these bans or vacated wins, but we'll let you keep the title." Mm. I hope that doesn't happen, but uh, we'll see. We'll see. We'll just have to let it play out. Indeed, time will tell. So, how about this one, Garrett? It's time for our gut reaction segment. Over the weekend, you texted me that you were going to make the argument that Jalen Daniels will win the Heisman. I mean, he did look pretty impressive against Florida this past week, but still, he's got a lot of losses on the resume. Or not a lot of losses, but you know what I mean. Just some tough losses this season. It hasn't been LSU's year, what we thought it would be. Uh, so make the case. Why is Jalen Daniels going to win the Heisman? Okay, I don't know if he necessarily will. Uh, my argument more so is that he should win the Heisman. Mm. Uh, I think that Jaden Daniels is... So, the, the Heisman's one of those trophies that it's it's subjective, and we always have the argument of what does it mean? What, like, wh- who, you know, how do we judge a team's success? It seems like, because the definition really of it is just most outstanding player in college football, right. but there's kind of an underlying, you know, an unwritten understanding that you're not going to give it to a player on a crappy team. And when teams start losing, it kind of knocks them out of the Heisman race. And with every loss, it seems, a, you know, players get kind of knocked down in the rankings every week. Mm-hmm. So I get the fact that, you know, LSU was knocked out of playoff contention pretty early. So that kind of um, put him in kind of the, you know, as an, a little bit of an afterthought earlier in the season uh, in the Heisman race. But I just think that if we're actually giving this award to the most outstanding player, you know, we, we, we've seen teams with three losses uh, have a player win the Heisman before because the players were just that good. Uh, I believe Caleb Williams had three losses last year, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. And I think te- Johnny Manziel as well when he was winning it. Uh, I mean, Texas A&M was... Um, you know, I I believe that they had three losses as well. So it's not unprecedented. I would assume I'm I'm guessing that uh LSU wins out this season and then they have a chance to uh to win a bowl game and get a ten win season. And I, I think that that's plenty good to to win the Heisman. Mm-hmm. And so I don't think that should be used against him. And I think if we're giving this the most outstanding player, I don't think I don't know anyone who would argue that. Jaden Daniels was not the best player in college football this year. The stats are did like 30 touchdowns on only four picks, uh, eight additional touchdowns on the ground. So 38 total touchdowns to just four picks. Um, I mean, he's thrown for over 3000 yards already and he's, you know, by the end of the season, he's probably going to rush for a thousand. He's got 900 rushing yards already. And some of these performances, I mean, just this last week against Florida, uh, 372 through the air. And then adding 234 yards on the ground, five total touchdowns. Mm. I mean, that's one of the best performances I've ever seen. And even in the big games, I mean, he shows up. He had, you know, they lost that first week to uh, to Florida State. He, had, he still had 350 passing yards, 60 on the ground. And then against Alabama, he got hurt and had to leave early. Right. He still had 219 yards, two touchdowns, and then added 163 yards on the ground. Um. I mean, I I think he's just statistically, he's been the best when you watch him play. 
He's I think he's the best. Um, he's completing over 70% of his passes. There's just, there's barely any flaws to his game. And, you know, again, if we're taking the records out of it, I think he's been the best player in college football. You know, he can't play defense for him. Their defense has been absolutely terrible and, uh, cost him easily cost him that Mississippi game. Um, I mean, he had 500 plus yards, five touchdowns in that one, but they gave up 55 defensively. And then, yeah, I think that he, I just think that if we're actually giving it to the most outstanding player, the best player in college football, that's Jaden Daniels. Well, there you have it, folks. I mean, I Garrett said it pretty well there. I don't think I should add anything more, really. Um, it, he has been incredibly impressive. And like you said, you bring up good points with regards to the the past Heisman winners who had numerous losses on their resume and they still won it. And at the end of the day, he is spearheading the deadliest offense in the country. And that's pretty, that's pretty much thanks to him, both through the air and on the ground. Like you said, uh, he, he pretty much has carried LSU and he's got great receivers. Don't get me wrong. Quarterback needs that, but um, shout out to Jalen Daniels for the performance this year. So, Good case there. Here's another gut reaction, though. James Franklin, the Penn State coach, he's now 1-7 against Michigan and Ohio State after Penn State lost 24-15 to to the Wolverines this last week. Uh, the Lions this year, they've averaged, uh, the Nittany Lions, that is, have averaged 43.8 points per game in eight wins this fall over the likes of Delaware, Massachusetts, Northwestern, and Maryland. But they've only scored a combined 27 against Ohio State and Michigan, and he was booed off the field this last week after they lost to Michigan. We'll, we'll get more in-depth on that game in total uh, a little bit later. Um, oh, and they've also fired offensive coordinator Mike Yurchich after the game. So, you know, there you go. So, what are your thoughts on the on that gut reaction, Garrett? James Franklin, an overrated coach. Yeah, I think it's a tough one. I mean, I don't think that he everyone brings up his record against top 10 opponents, which is fair. And I think he's 4 and 16 against Ohio State and Michigan uh since he got there and obviously that that I mean, that's not ideal. But at the same time, Michigan and Ohio State are, you know, perennial top 5 teams, especially the last few years and I don't, I don't think he's expected necessarily to win those games. I mean, obviously you would like to win those, but mm -hmm. you know, going into the season, I think everyone's expectations of Penn state are that they're at least as of late, especially is that they're the third best team in uh, in the big 10. And usually they, uh, you know, as of late, they've uh, that's been the case. And so, I don't think it's fair to say necessarily that he's overrated. Um, you know, he's got four 11 win seasons uh, and, you know, could potentially have another one here this season. So I think that, I mean, if you want to have crazy high expectations that they need to be the best team, obviously that's where Penn state wants to be. I don't think that necessarily they can't get there. Um, mm -hmm. I think you saw this against uh, 
you know, Michigan and Ohio State this season, they were really close games and they've got one of the best defenses in the country. And you, you saw that on display, but it's their offenses. They just don't have the quarterback play. And Drew Aller came in as the top quarterback in his class. And you expect a lot out of him. And he just did not look the part. And I don't think you can put that on James Franklin. He made a couple suspect decisions in the game this last week. Um, you know, going for two so early was just, it was odd. But at the same time, I don't think that was a game losing mistake. And I don't know. I don't, I don't see anything that makes me think that he's the issue that's keeping them from being a top five team in the country. Cause you know, mm-hmm. it, if you're saying you're not satisfied with where they're at and that he's overrated because of that, then you're saying that Penn state should be a, a, a you know, a playoff team. And, you know, that's, I think that's too high of expectations. I think that, it's too soon to put that on them for what they've built. Uh, you know, Michigan and Ohio State are there perennially, so I think it's a little easier to have those expectations because they've been right. there. Uh, Penn State just has not gotten over the hump yet, mm-hmm. and I don't think that I don't think that James Franklin's been bad enough to where you think, oh, he can never get there or he's not going to be able to get there. I mean, I think Penn State should be pretty satisfied with with what he's done. They've had, you know, they had a two season stretch where they had, uh, they were pretty average, but other than that, they're a consistent, you know, 10 plus win seasons. Like I said, four out of their last, um, four of their last seven seasons were 11 win seasons. I mean, that's, that's a lot of wins, especially in the big 10. So, uh, my opinion would be, he is not overrated. Okay. I think he's appropriately rated. Here's, here's, one thing that makes me struggle a little bit with Franklin, I'm, I'm not entirely disagreeing with you at all, but Franklin and Penn State agreed to a 10-year contract that runs through 2031 in November of 2021. The deal for Franklin is worth $7.5 million annually on top of incentives and a $1 million annual life insurance plan. His base salary is $500,000 with sixty with six. And a half million in supplemental pay and an annual retention bonus of five hundred thousand dollars, with a huge buyout. So it's not as big as Jimbo Fisher, but a huge buyout of sixty-four million dollars in twenty twenty-three and fifty-six in twenty twenty-four. Um, it is hard to see a scenario in which Franklin's job is on the line, but I guess it's easy to see where the high level of frustration is potentially warranted based on that. I mean, it's, again, not at the same level of Jimbo Fisher because Jimbo Fisher is getting those talented recruits in and basically doing nothing with them. Whereas James Franklin, to your point, he owns a 102-51 and 51 career record uh, and led his teams to four top 10 finishes, and the, all of them were at Penn State, and seven top 25 finishes overall. Two at Vanderbilt, which got him the job at Penn State, and then five at Penn State. So he's actually got some legit success under his his name, and he's built it as opposed to you know Jimbo, where maybe he he got put in a really good situation with Florida State, and as a result, he was able to to cap off. And I mean, he's won the Rose Bowl. I mean, that's kind of a big game right. there. Uh, Thirteen years overall, he's six and five in bowl games. So 
he's getting his teams to big games, and then he has a positive record in those big games. So I, I suppose I understand, I sympathize with Penn State fans who are saying, my gosh, we're paying you almost $8 million a year, and you can't, we just can't get over the hump. Like something, uh, can something change here? So I understand that side of it. But on the flip side, I mean, as a, a team, my team's lost six straight. I would be pretty pleased with 10 regular 10 win seasons against perennial teams like Michigan and Ohio State. And to be fair, I mean, there's going to be a year. If James Franklin continues the course, continues bringing in the top recruits like he's been bringing in, uh, I, I think I think Penn State will eventually see the fruits of that labor. Uh, it's just going to take the ball to bounce their way a time or two. They were they were in the game against Michigan, so there's there. I, I agree with you. I don't think he is um, overrated. So there we go. Yeah, and uh, to your point, uh, you mentioned all the bowl wins. You know, won a Fiesta Bowl. They won a Cotton Bowl. Won a Rose Bowl. Mm-hmm. I mean, and that's just in the last seven years, six years, honestly. And so. Yeah, I I think that that's nothing to complain about. And it's just one of those things that as long as you're having these 10, 11 win seasons and you're right there, um, you're you're just waiting for that one time you can finally break through and get that big win uh, over Michigan and Ohio State. And then you're right there. And I I think it's too early to say that you can't do that. So, yeah, that's that's my thoughts. Yeah. And again, pointing back to Jimbo. James Franklin wins the games he's supposed to, and you know they they lose the tough ones. And if Jimbo were doing that, maybe we'd be having a different conversation about him. So there you go. Uh, that is gut reaction. Now let's shift focus here. We're on the way to week reacting to week eleven. That is, there were some good football games last week, Garrett, and some of the ones we highlighted. Let's go ahead and start with. USC at six ranked Oregon. Oregon Ducks get the win 36 to 27. So, hey, USC, all credit due after firing Alex Grinch. They hang around with the Ducks and, you know, but made a decent, neat, pretty decent game uh, at Autzen Stadium. Yeah, I mean, it was relatively close. Um, but I still think that. I mean, given preseason expectations, they've still fallen pretty far. I think you look at their mm-hmm. seven and four record and think, oh, they played Oregon pretty close. But, um, you know, going into the season, they're looking to compete with these teams. And now they're at the point where it's like, oh, they played them pretty close. That's nice. So <laughs> that doesn't mix with yeah. USC. Yeah, it's still a disappointment. Um, you know, I think they just relied on their high powered offense. Caleb Williams made plays to get to 27 points, but their defense was still just not non-existent Bo mm-hmm. Nix threw for over 400 yards and yeah that's 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 pretty much it a, a fairly not not the cleanest win from Oregon I'm sure their defense would like to play a little bit better but at the same time it's USC and you know you can't be too too upset about that I think Oregon looked really solid though still and mm-hmm. showed that you know still maybe the best team in the, the Pac-12 in my opinion yeah uh, I mean, 552 yards of total offense, 8.8 yards per play. Uh, USC's defense was just, once again, nowhere to be found. And then um, on the Oregon side, some areas to clean up. 13 total penalties for 120 yards, which really helped USC you know, stay effective. 
Uh, but USC's rushing offense, again, just struggled. 73 yards on the ground. And as a result, it was all on Caleb Williams' shoulders. And oftentimes, he, you know, he can work his magic and make something happen, which he he did. You know, he had a he had a pretty solid day. Um, nine, uh, well, it doesn't look good, 19 of 34, but it was 291 yards and a touchdown. He kept it clean, um, and they found other ways to get in the end zone. So, to your point, Oregon, some stuff to clean up, but a solid win against a talented Trojans team, albeit disappointing. And uh, Ducks are moving on. They're 9-1 and one and continue to head on the road uh, to a potential big matchup with Huskies. So um, anything to add there, Garrett, before we jump to the next one? I don't think so. I think that's it. What about Texas at TCU? This isn't something we have to have a deep dive into, but the Longhorns, they survive 29-26 to against a 4-6 TCU team. And the big news out of this one is Texas lost their starting running back, uh, Jonathan Brooks, done for the year, torn ACL. Yeah, that's obviously disappointing. The run game is a big part of their offense. They rely on it a lot. And Jonathan Brooks, I mean, he's uh, 1,100 yards rushing on the season so far, averaging over six yards a carry. So that's definitely going to be a huge blow to them. But uh, they've got talented backs. They've got a really strong O-line that I don't think this is a... you know, you know, they're still looking in at that uh, that final playoff spot. They're they're definitely within striking distance, and this hurts a little bit, but I don't think it's enough to necessarily you know knock them out of it. They've still got really talented backs that can step up. Uh, C.J. Baxter, he got a lot of carries mm-hmm. this last week, mm-hmm. obviously, and uh, Jaden Blue as well. Those are both guys averaging four and a half and five point eight yards a carry. So um again behind the the offensive line that they've got i think that they'll be fine i think if they do get into the playoffs that's it's going to be a little bit of an issue right not having someone as talented as jonathan brooks especially when you're going you know every little every play matters uh against defenses like michigan ohio state um georgia then maybe you see a difference there but uh for the rest of the season at least and their quest to make that conference uh or the college football playoffs i think that they'll be i think they'll be just fine with the guys that they've got so yeah yeah uh texas once again just looking at their their schedule the rest of the way um they they should be fine but through this injury i mean they they wrap up with iowa state it's at iowa iowa state which can sometimes be really tricky randomly but they've got viewers back under center as well so i look for texas to wrap up there and then they finish with Texas Tech at home before a Big 12 championship game. That's going to be my guess there. And then, like you said, yeah, this just creates opportunity in Texas's backfield. They've still got a pretty deep stable of backs, all things considered, especially to other teams in the country. I mean, Baxter, you mentioned him. He was the number one ranked running back coming out of Florida. So, I mean, I, I fully expect him to thrive behind Texas's offensive line. Um, so I still like the Longhorns going forward. Tough blow and they escape um, with a close win. Um, Hey, this one was kind of a – this one just bugged me a little bit. North Carolina beats Duke in epic fashion, 47-45, to a low-scoring basketball game between the two schools, Um, and North Carolina rushes the field. I just thought thought it was funny. (laughs) I mean, come on. Duke's unranked. Their season's unraveled a little bit. North Carolina, you have – 
After that loss to Virginia, I don't want to hear anything from you. That That's kind of my take on it. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's always a tricky on rushing the field who who's warranted to do it and who's not. And everyone has different reasons to do it. I mean, people always complain about Clemson because their fans rush on the field after every right. every game, basically. But um, yeah, it, it is a little odd. Duke with a backup quarterback. They're six and four. Um, I, I thought it was a little bit odd, but I don't have too much of a problem with it. I mean, if the fans enjoy it, then so be it. But um, it is a little bit corny, maybe just, you know, again, given the opponent, but I was talking to a, a friend of ours who went to UNC and he, he obviously he, he had no problem with it. He, he <laughs> just went to the fact that it's a rivalry game. It's Duke. And it's a double. The fact that it was a, a double overtime thriller and uh, right. a late at night, it has that you know that added intensity to it. That when you do finally get the win, then it does more justify a field rushing. Maybe mm-hmm. if it was if it was a blowout or if it was a, a a comfortable win, they wouldn't have done that. It's just the fact that it was a double overtime, high scoring thriller late at night that it kind of gave it that extra. Um, I don't know the extra excitement and uh, intensity to it that uh, just warranted a field storming at the end to, to cap it off. So, right. Yeah. I think I do think it is a little bit corny, but I don't have too much of a problem with it personally. Right. Well, North Carolina, um, they, they kind of, in a sense here, control their own destiny with regard. Or, well, um, they, they still have potential to make the ACC championship, I should say. Um, so keep an eye on them. Michigan at Penn state, shifting gears a little bit here this was a big one and uh i would just like to point out i picked michigan garrett did not yeah a little uh i mean i try it was it was a bit of a long shot i was pulling for penn state the hard pick yeah they uh i mean man for a defense that was by far the best run defense in the country Again, only giving up 1.8 yards of carry going into the game. Michigan did not care. They ran it all over them. Mm-hmm. Uh, McCarthy didn't attempt to pass after like the 7.30 mark or something in the second quarter. Um, right. Didn't complete a pass the rest of the game. So, yeah, that uh, Michigan really just kind of, I don't know, they, they just showed how dominant their defense and run game was that they're just going to beat you up up front. And, uh, yeah, just Blake Corum, they could not stop him. Didn't, didn't really matter what they did, handed it off to him. And he was just, I don't know, running, uh, with ease. So mm-hmm. yeah, that was really, in my opinion, it was a close game, but it was still a, a, a really impressive performance for Michigan. The, cause everyone, you know, the biggest, uh, knock on them was their schedule that they weren't playing anybody, but to come out and run it all over the best run D in the country like that was uh really impressive and i still you know it didn't show obviously much from jj mccarthy he didn't have to do much that game i right. still would have a slight question mark on how well they uh they can play if he does get into a situation because the thing is penn state's offense is just so bad drew aller looks really terrible in that game and so i do wonder if they get into a situation where they that michigan's defense can't Gets an, you know, they face an, an offense that no matter how good your defense is, they're going to find ways to score, whether it be, um, 
I think I think Georgia has an offense that good even um, mm-hmm. or a team like Oregon. Right. I don't think many teams are gonna be able to stop Oregon no matter what can you know, can JJ McCarthy and that offense keep up? Uh, that's yet to be seen still. But right. either way, I, just with the dominant run game of the defense, I, I think either way, it was a still a really impressive win for Michigan. Yeah, what a. What an interesting stat line. Just looking at this. J.J. McCarthy, 7 of 8. 7 of 8 for 60 yards. That's almost unheard of in this day and age. No, it is, no, yeah. Nobody throwing the ball around. Oh, Drew Aller, he, he had more of a regular number of attempts, 10 of 22, which, like you said, just awful. 70 yards, one touchdown. Just pretty dismal for a, a, the guy who was supposed to be the number one recruit. And you brought that up earlier when we were talking about um, Coach Franklin. Just you gotta, yeah, that shocked me because you wouldn't know it when you watched a play that he was the number one quarterback coming out in his class two years ago. Right. You just got to scratch your head a little bit with that one. And then this was more of a rugby scrum, honestly, with Blake Corum, 26 carries, 145 yards, two touchdowns, 5.6 yards per carry. Just huge testament to the Michigan offensive line. And then the Michigan defense um it, Garrett we talked about this off the air but I think Michigan's defense had never had an opponent inside the 10 yard line against them up until this game is that right that is yeah never they've had um I think I've got the stat right here they've only faced 14 uh opponents in their red zone the entire season and then that was the first time this last week that anyone's gotten inside the 10 or they faced an opponent starting from inside the 10 so yeah crazy crazy defensive stat i mean they they just basically act like they know the opponent's plays every time like it's ridiculous i don't (laughs) i don't don't know how they do it honestly oh goodness this guy just won't quit um (laughs) with with regards to blake corum that do you think he could be like a fringe Heisman guy? I mean, looking at his stats, 794 rush yards, 18 rushing touchdowns. I mean, that's that's just insane. That's off of 152 attempts. Yeah, I don't think um I mean, he's had a really good season obviously and he, he benefits a lot just being on Michigan, but mm-hmm. I, I I doubt he gets into the Heisman conversation. I think there's um the only person who I think has a chance uh, as a non-quarterback from what I'm just, and I'm just going off what I've seen from, you know, odds and what the, the writers are saying. Um, I think there's some potential that Marvin Harrison jr. Sneaks in. If he has mm-hmm. a great end of the season, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. I think he has a shot an outside shot at getting in, but I think that's probably the only non-quarterback that gets in i don't think any running backs are going to make it and you know blake Corum is solid but his stats aren't really uh up there someone like jonathan brooks has had much better stats on paper this season i think um you know i think there's some other running backs that would get in ahead of him but you know he still had an, an amazing season um you know I just don't think that their offense is asking necessarily to do much that he's going to warrant the stats to really get a Heisman, a Heisman nod. Yeah. Oh, we mentioned his name last week. Ollie Gordon with Oklahoma State. 186 a, attempts, yeah. 1,250 yards, 12 touchdowns. So Yeah, that, he's, he's another one that I think has a, a better chance from a running back stance. Well, there you go. We're off topic there. But, yep, just a big win from Michigan, and they keep humming along. They're now 10-0 and on the season. 
And the last game that we wanted to touch on, Ole Miss at Georgia. And Garrett, this this didn't go like we expected. <laughs> yeah, I uh I I really like uh, I really liked Ole Miss. I think they've had a really good season. I think Lane Kiffin's a good coach. Um, you know, they got a big win over LSU and yeah, I, um, I thought this was going to be a much closer game. They, we talked about last week, how, if they wanted a chance, they would really need to establish the run. That's what they liked to do. And that was, a you know, Georgia's pass defense and their secondary is just so, so, so strong that mm-hmm. you're not, you're going to need to establish the run. If you're going to have any chance, you know, we've seen teams like Auburn have a little bit of success running and they were able to keep the game close with the run game of the defense, but um, Ole Miss, they, they kind of did that. Uh, they ran the ball 45 times, still 179 yards, two touchdowns, but it just is not enough to keep up with Georgia's offense. You know, we talk about their defense, but their offense is just, they are rolling right now. I mean, mm-hmm. 300 yards on the ground and then another 300 through the air. Carson Beck, 306 yards, two touchdowns. I mean, 10 yards per play. Yeah. I mean, they'll, you know, there's no weakness to their offense and, you know, I, they're very similar to Oregon in that way. in that, you know, they're going to put up points uh, and they're going to move the ball on you every which way. And they're going to play great defense. Those are two teams that I just think are so well-rounded and right. yeah, Ole Miss just did not have an answer defensively. So, you know, they can establish the run all they want, but when you're giving up 600 yards, it's just, that's not enough. And Jackson Dart wasn't really able to get much going through the air. So, you know, it, it kind of became a track meet that they weren't able to keep up in. Yeah. I mean, I mean, this this kind of gave me a reminder of Ole Miss versus LSU in that Ole Miss's defense could not stop LSU uh, in their offense. And obviously LSU's ranking wise, their offense overall, it may be a little bit better than Georgia as far as the numbers they've been able to put up. But George's offense is nothing to sneeze at. I mean, like you said, um, and when George's when you combine that with George's defense, which just breaks my heart for LSU fans because if LSU had even an average defense, maybe right. maybe the season goes totally different. But now here we yep. are, and yeah. Georgia when they have such an elite defense on the other end. Like you said, you know, establish the run all you want, but at the end of the day, it's more of a bend don't break mentality with these Bulldogs. And then mm-hmm. I just wish Ole Miss would have maybe tried to test Georgia through the air a little bit more. Just looking at uh, Jackson Dart, and he took a hard hit later in the game, which kind of obviously that that certainly plays a bit of a role. But only ten of seventeen, like let let him let it rip a little bit more. I understand you're going against the the arguably the best secondary we've seen in some time, but you got to try to test them over the top. Ohio State did that incredibly successfully and almost knocked off Georgia in that game. It, to me, if you want a chance to beat Georgia, you're going to have to try to test them over the top, and it just seemed like Ole Miss was never really willing to try that. They they kept they kept it with their ground approach, and they were able to get something going, but if you're wanting to beat Georgia, you got to have a gunslinger mentality. Missouri, I thought, had a better game plan than Ole Miss. So I, I got to point the finger a little bit at Lane Kiffin in this one and just kind of, th- what are you, what are you doing, man? Throw the ball. Oh, you know, Missouri's able to come in there 
with less of a flashy, you know, less of flashy playmakers, arguably. And they put up 21 and kept it a really close game. So, anyways, that that's yeah. that's that's one thing I noticed. Yeah, I mean, we've seen Jackson Dart have solid solid games. Um, so maybe there is an argument there that they should have let him, you know, be a little more aggressive. Um, but you know, I just think that his big games have come against LSU and Texas A and M. Uh, Texas A&M actually has a pretty decent uh, defense, and he was still able to put up 387 yards against them last week or the week prior to the Georgia game. Mm. So, yeah, I think that they just expected probably going into the game that their defense was going to be able to hold Georgia to a, a more respectable amount that they, you know, that in the second half when they just started getting destroyed, I just think that it, I, I think they weren't ready for that. Um, they only put up three points in the second half. I think they just, yeah, I, I just think they weren't prepared. And then the, like you said, the hit to Jackson dart late kind of put a damper on things, even though it was kind of over at that point. But yeah, I, I think that their game plan was just centered around establishing the run, keeping it low scoring. And once Georgia kind of showed that there was no stopping them and their defense was just completely outmatched, it, it kind of all went out the window and, yeah, I just I think they just weren't prepared to to get into a track meet like that. Yeah, and number one Georgia moves on. They're ten and zero on the season now. Ole Miss falls to eight and two. Still a pretty successful year for Lane Kiffin. Maybe he goes to Texas A and M. Maybe mm, just throwing maybe. it out there. Um, so Georgia. Speaking of Georgia and whatnot, now seems like a good time as any to talk about the new playoff rankings, seeing as Georgia just thumped Ole Miss, that obviously had a little bit of impact on the college football playoff rankings in this new batch. Uh, Garrett, what do we got for us? Yeah, so I mean, the top eight, I think, are what everyone would consider the teams that are really competing for those final four spots right now. And that all remained the same, except Georgia and Ohio State finally swapped at one and two. And I think that's the the area that had the most conversation around it. Um, I think everyone was a little bit surprised that Ohio state has been number one, the last couple of weeks, uh, people, you know, they just haven't passed the eye test necessarily. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, people were going off of the fact that wins against Penn state and Notre Dame as, Oh, they have the most quality wins. But now that Notre Dame's fallen off a little bit, that's looking like less of a quality win. Penn state's got two losses now. I think that people, and then Georgia's just looked so dominant lately. I think that the committee finally just decided, all right, fine. Georgia probably is the best team. We'll put them number one. Right. So they finally go to number one and then everything else stayed the same. You got Ohio state two, Michigan, three, Florida state, four, Washington, five, Oregon, six, and then Texas and Alabama finishing out the top eight. And uh, Missouri made a huge jump. They had a big win at Tennessee. They've they've had a really solid season at eight and two. They're right after that at nine. But I don't think many people would give Missouri a chance to make the playoffs at this point. Uh, this late right. in the season, I think it really just comes down to that top eight. You've got the the undefeated teams, and then the one loss teams are really the only ones that I think have a chance at this point. Yeah, and I I would agree with that overall sentiment as far as the the teams we're looking at here. 
uh, Bama obviously making their case late here, and they have the opportunity, of course, in the SEC championship game. Um, Georgia, Ohio State, um, Michigan, and Florida State rounding out that that top four there. And I I actually like this committee. I think for the most part, they've kept everything the same and said, no, these are the teams who have earned their spots, and we're not just going to turn this into a power ranking. Um, mm-hmm. you know, obviously you can say that with Georgia, but I think that's well earned with that big win and Ohio state. Yeah. I mean, Ole Miss was a top 10 team in their own eyes and they right. ran them out of the building. So exactly. And Georgia has just been rounding more and more into form week by week. And that's mm-hmm. a terrifying thing to, to think about. Um, Ohio state, you know, yes, they've, they've, they're still undefeated and they're still had a solid year thus far, but some just, you know, lesser, some lesser competition here and there, some more pedestrian performances, I suppose you solid wins. I would say they're solid wins, but just maybe not looking as impressive as Georgia, Michigan. I'm fine with them there, Florida state and Washington this week. That could be interesting to me. What do you think of this Garrett? Florida state, they play North Alabama. Who cares? Washington, they take down a top 10 opponent in Oregon State. Could the argument be made that the Hus- at, that's at Oregon State, by the way? More on that in a second. Could the argument be made that the Huskies jump over Florida State if they win? Uh, I think that that is possible if, if Washington comes out. Because, again, uh, we'll, again we'll, yeah, like I said, we'll talk about that game. But Oregon right. State's actually favored uh, over Washington. And... I think that if they come in and they dominate similar to the way that Georgia just did to Ole Miss, um, yeah, I don't, th- I, I think that they could jump Florida state. I don't think it will overtake Michigan, but I think they could definitely get into that fourth spot. Right. Um, Florida state had a, they, they beat Miami this past weekend and Miami's a pretty solid team, but um, it was a close game and you know, they've got North Alabama and then they've got Florida. So, and then yeah, that's. Uh, I think that if Washington wins out and Florida State wins out, then I would not be surprised if Washington gets that fourth spot going into that conference championship week. Right. I think that's entirely possible. And, and I suppose this is my Pac-12 bias coming out here in that, are you kidding me, Florida State? This is what you get for scheduling North Alabama this late into the season. That's ridiculous. <laughs> Whereas... The Pac-12 is just, this is what they do. They beat up on each other. They have all these tough games back to back to back to back. And all and the SEC and all these southeastern schools just constantly pick the FCS schools later in the week or later in the year, and nobody calls them out. Um, so, anyways, uh, to me, that would be a little bit of a payback there. Um, but, again, I'm, I'm just bitter over here on the West Coast. So, <laughs> I... Uh, uh, anyways, I, I think the argument should at least be considered if Washington and, you know, to be fair, the Huskies haven't exactly looked great the last couple of weeks, although the, the win against USC was a big one on the road, but USC has also dropped numerous games in a row. So that doesn't look good. And now, right. you know, if, if they have a big win at Reeser Stadium, which is a tough place to play, by the way. I I, I think is, yeah. the committee's got to consider it. So um, we'll we'll touch on that game a little bit more later. But some interesting developments there, and something to keep an eye on as we move forward. But you, you got anything else there, Garrett? 
Um, not really. I think that uh, just to touch on the back four, the fact that they've got Washington right. over Oregon, who, you know, from what I can tell, I think that there's a general sentiment that a lot of people would rank. If we're talking about best team, they would probably put Oregon ahead of Washington, just how dominant Oregon's looked. And the fact that the Washington game, it was at Washington. It was a toss up game. A lot of people, I think, would put Oregon ahead of them just in fact, just in terms of being a better team overall. And at the same time, I think a lot of people would say that Alabama with the way they've looked lately is a better team than Texas with how Texas has played lately. Mm-hmm. Yet they've, the committee has Washington ahead of Oregon and they have Texas ahead of Alabama. So it's like they're respecting that head to head matchup right. saying that Washington beat Oregon. So we're not going to, we're not going to put Oregon ahead and then Texas beat Bama. So we're not going to put Bama ahead. Right. So, Again, that goes into the debate of what does the top, you know, what is the point of the playoffs? Are we going by resume? Are we going by, you know, who we think are the four best teams? Mm-hmm. And it seems like given the way that they put Ohio State at one for a couple weeks and then the way that they've done these last four here, it seems like they're really putting a heavy emphasis on what you've done on the field and your resume rather than just necessarily eye test going back right. to what we were talking about earlier. So. I think that's just an interesting thing to pay attention to going into the last couple of weeks to try and get a an idea of what the committee really cares about. Yeah, and, and I actually respect overall that way of what you've done, what you've earned on the field. I, I think that's a fair way to look at it. And some interest yeah. that that's going to be interesting to keep an eye on things, especially with that Michigan Ohio State game. Michigan wins. How far does Ohio State drop if they lose, or right. vice versa? You know, are we suddenly talking about that? Oh, both of those teams. Nope. You're neither. One of them is out. And then you've got mm-hmm. all these other teams hoping for their shot below them. Um, yeah. Washington, Oregon, the does con- Oregon does just to touch on, uh, they do control their own destiny, destiny there. So, yeah, I, I think the craziest scenario is if we get down and Alabama beats Georgia Ooh. in the SEC championship, because in that scenario, I think Alabama and Georgia are locks for a playoff spot. And that makes it really difficult if you've got an undefeated Florida State or an undefeated Washington, and then you've got an undefeated Michigan. Like, you know, one of those teams is going to get left out probably. Yeah. Because I don't see, I mean, there's there's a one-loss Georgia to losing only to Alabama all year. Do they get left out? I mean, I don't know that. That would be a crazy scenario. I think Alabama beating Georgia, I think, would cause chaos. That oh. I, I'd love to see it happen. It'd be crazy. Right. But, um, that would yeah, give us plenty of content loaded. to talk about. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, but yeah, just a, I think there's just a lot of quality teams at the top this year that it's gonna it's gonna make for an exciting and contentious uh, Final Four whenever that comes about. So oh, we'll ab- see. We'll ab- see. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, some big matchups coming up this week and the well the really the following weeks and we're just gonna have to see how the committee shakes things out and with that let's move on to this week week 12 we're already at week 12 that's crazy and we've got some big games and hey why not just start with number one georgia at number 21 tennessee you and i both probably have georgia favored here of course especially given Tennessee's rocky performance. Ah, get it, rock top. Uh, they're uh, uh, I see. bit of a disappointing performance last week as they got destroyed 36-7 to against Missouri. Um, 
So they're coming in not looking so great, licking their wounds, and Georgia is just rolling. But you got to respect Neyland Stadium. Yeah, I definitely think that um, the home field is going to help them, especially after how you know torched they were last week. But at the same time, I just think that with the way Georgia's offense is rolling and how poorly Tennessee's defense is playing, I don't think it's going to help enough to where it's going to keep this close. Right. Uh, Georgia's favored by 10. And I think that I think they, they roll over Tennessee. Tennessee's predicated on their run game. Um, you know, they're rushing for over 200 yards a game, five and a half yards per attempt. That's sixth in the country. And they could not get it. Well, they kind of got it going against Missouri, I guess. Um, but not not nearly as much as they'd like. And their defense just got absolutely destroyed. Actually, yeah. no, yeah, they, they could not run the ball against Missouri. And mm-hmm. yeah, only seven points. And their defense got absolutely torched both on the ground and through the air. And I don't see why Georgia can't do the same to them. So, yeah, I... Um, I just don't. I just don't see how they how they stop Georgia's offense. Um, yeah. You know, Georgia ran for 300 yards against Ole Miss, and I don't. I don't see Tennessee's defense doing much to stop them. Yeah. Uh, last week, Tennessee gave up 255 yards to Missouri, and Missouri's mostly known for being super pass efficient, pass heavy, and whatnot. So. To give that up in 7.1 yards per play, don't get me wrong, Missouri's offense is good, but man, that, that was just rough. And yeah, now here, here enter stage left, Georgia, with over 600 yards the week prior against Ole Miss. Yes, Ole Miss, def- Ole Miss defensively is probably not better than Tennessee defensively, especially if we're talking stats here, but I, I like Georgia you know, pretty, pretty comfortably in this one. I think they'll cover... Um, I, I think Neyland Stadium will be rocking. Tennessee's going to give them their best shot, and they'll probably make some plays. But overall, I think Georgia pulls away. Um, that Georgia, again, just has that grinded-out affair. They're comfortable playing numerous styles, and they're going to make you play their way ultimately, and that's just an uncomfortable place to be. So give me the dogs yeah. to cover in that one. Yeah, I, and just to touch on the biggest thing that we talked, we talked about it last week. Uh, for the Missouri Tennessee game is this Tennessee defense is really susceptible to just giving up big play after big play. And we, I, uh, I, I said, Missouri was going to take advantage of that. And, you know, they were hitting big play after big play, multiple 40 yard bombs, um, huge rushings, uh, 35 yard rush attempt, 24 yard rush attempt. I mean, they were, they were just hitting them for big play after big play. And we saw Georgia do the exact same thing to Ole Miss last week. And so, yeah, I think that that's going to be another problem this week. And yeah, like, and then like we talked about with uh, Georgia, they're a bend don't break in the sense that their secondary is just so good at not giving, giving up big plays, keeping everything in front of them. Right. And it's going to, it's just gonna be hard for, you know, as no matter how strong Joe Milton's arm is. Um, and he was able to throw for two sixty seven last week against Missouri, but I just don't see how they're going to be able to keep up. Um, Cause you know, they, you know, they rely on their run game. Um, you know, they're running it 38 times a game and they've got three rushers averaging over five yards of carry over 420 yards on the season. And then when Missouri started scoring on them, they had to abandon them. They only ran the ball with their, uh, 
their the three headed monster. They only got thirteen rush attempts the entire game against Missouri. Mm. I mean, when you're giving it, when you're getting run out the building, it's kind of hard to commit to the run. Um, so, I I just don't think that they're going to be able to keep up and play the game that they want to play. So yeah, I, I agree. I I like Georgia pretty big in this one. Yeah. And uh, you can watch this. This one is going to be a 3.30 kickoff time. And uh, streaming, well, it's probably a CBS or ABC. But this one only brought up Fubo again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's a CBS. There you go. Brad Nestler on the call, I'm guessing. Um, moving on. After that one, we've got this is kind of an interesting one. Number 23, Kansas State at Kansas. Both of them are seven and three in this one, but it's Kansas will be the home team. And Coach Leopold, I believe, is 10 and two at home with Kansas. Uh, does little brother, talking football here, does little brother take down big brother, Kansas State? I think that. I don't know. This one's going to be a really tough one. Um, I actually, I don't think so. I like Kansas State. Um, you know, they've been playing really well. Uh, they've won four of their last five. The only loss was at Texas, and they lost by three points. Other than that, they've really been rolling. Um, you know, they're uh, fantastic on the ground. They rush for over 200 yards a game. They're putting up close to 40 points. Uh, really solid defense too. only giving up 18 and a half points per game. And then the key is going to be for Kansas, uh, you know, Jason Bean. they're already, they're already down to their backup quarterback. Um, Jason Bean had to come in before the Texas game earlier in the season. And he's been starting ever since. And he's a bit, he was a bit shaken up in their last game. They say he's probably going to play this week. So, um, that's a, a situation to monitor. If he's not playing, I don't really give him any chance. If he is playing, I think it'll be a closer game, uh, especially at home. You know, we saw what they did to Oklahoma. I think they have mm-hmm. that potential. They're a really strong team, but um, I just don't know if they can really stop Kansas State's rushing attack. Um, and I don't, I don't know if they can really keep up. We saw how, you know, Kansas was, or Kansas State. Uh, they were able to move the ball against Texas. We know how strong their defense is, and right. I think they're probably going to be able to, able to do the same against uh, against Kansas. And I just don't know if Kansas can be able to keep up with them. Yeah, no, that that's that's all fair. This is a heart pick for me. I'm taking Kansas. Give me the Jayhawks mm. at home, and really, this is all anecdotal. <laughs> <laughs> because you bring up all the statistics and I'm like, gosh, he's making a lot of sense here. But uh, I, I've got to go with Kansas at home. Uh, 10 and two at home is coach Leopold. And there's just something about Lawrence where the Jayhawks come out and perform at a different level. And I just, I just think that we're going to get a little bit, some of that home field magic. It's a rivalry game. Uh, give me the Jayhawks at home against ranked Kansas state. That'll move them to eight and three. If they get that win, um, I'll, I'll take the Jayhawks in this one. Again, I don't really have the stats to back it up, but (laughs) I I just, it's just a gut feeling, you know? Right, right, right. Um, yeah, no, I think that's, uh, that's fair. Kansas is a lot stronger at home. If it makes you feel any better, they've got the 89th ranked rush defense when it comes to yards per carry. <laughs> it doesn't. So I think Kansas State's going to really struggle against that run defense. 
Well, now, yeah, when you put it that way, I'm I'm sticking nah, with it. Kidding, <laughs> <just kidding. laughs> uh, no, I, I, I do I do like Kansas, and uh, again, if if uh, if you know if if they're as long as they're not down to their third string quarterback, if Jason Bean's playing, right, I definitely like their chances. Uh, I think it's going to be a really close one either way. Um, so, but yeah, if, if, if Jason Bean can't play, then they're going to have to go to, uh, uh, their third stringer, uh, Cole Ballard. And he really struggled last week against Texas tech. And I, I really don't like their chances if that's the case, but assuming he's playing, I, I do expect it to be a pretty close game. So yeah. it'll, it'll be an exciting one for sure. Yeah. In that case, I do put a disclaimer on my pick saying if beans playing it, then I pick Kansas, but if not, then I right, go to Kansas right, State. Right, right. see I'm covering, you know, you cover your tracks, cover your bases. Of and, course. Uh, of course. You know, yeah. So there's that. Uh, Oh, I don't know. A top 10 matchup. Number five, Washington on the road at number 10, Oregon state, arguably the biggest matchup of the week uh, in research stadium. Always a tough place to play. Oregon state, has just put together a very solid season, all things considered. Uh, DJ Uyungle, I'm pretty sure I said that right. Has I saw a funny com- uh, comment on his his play. Uh, they said he's the best bad quarterback I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's fair. That's fair. Uh, that they're coming off a 62 to 17 win against Stanford, but I mean Stanford's three and seven, so take that with what you will. He was only 12 and 19, 240 for two touchdowns. What do you think, Garrett? Uh, does or- if Oregon State? You mentioned it earlier. They're favored in this one. Yeah, I'm I'm shocked. They're favored by two and a half. Um, yeah, I mean that that's a surprise. Obviously, they've had a great season, right? Like you mentioned, they're eight and two. Um, big wins over UCLA and Utah and yeah, I, I just don't know their, their offense is really solid. They've got a great rushing attack they're rushing for almost 200 yards a game. Uh, they're, they're really efficient both on the ground and through the air. They're top 15 in yards per pass attempt and yards per rush attempt, Hmm. um, scoring 38 points a game, really solid. They've got Damian Martinez. He's a thousand yard rusher already. 6.6 yards a carry. Um, so yeah, they're a really balanced offense. They love to run the ball. Uh, they're mm-hmm. very good at it. And then when they do need to pass it, like you mentioned, DJ Ungalele, he's had a great season, really bounced back from his struggles at Clemson. And they're very efficient through the air when they need to. So um, yeah, just a really solid attack on offense. Washington's defense, we've seen them struggle. Yeah. Um, they're giving up 270 passing yards a game. That's 122nd. Obviously, a little bit can be contributed to the fact that they're scoring so much. Teams are going to be have to airing it out against them. Right. But still, I mean, 122nd, that's it's it's not great. And we've seen it in games lately that uh, they are susceptible to giving up big gains. I mean, Utah's offense is not great. They were able to put up 28 points against them. Um, USC put up 42 the week before. Stanford, 33 the week before. So uh, I don't think that their defense is going to be that much of a task for Oregon state. I think they're going to be able to run the ball pretty well. Um, Washington's given up 4.4 yards per rush attempt. That's 81st in the country. So Hmm. um, I think this could be a fairly high scoring game. Uh, Oregon state's pass defense is not great. And that's not what you want going against Washington who has, you know, one of the best passing offenses in the country. Michael Penix is um, he's rolling and, and we know Utah's defense is solid, but, he still put up 330 yards last week and two touchdowns. Right. So 
Yeah, I think it's going to be Washington's air attack versus Oregon State's ground game. And I think both are going to have success and it's going to be a pretty high scoring one. So I I don't I really don't know about this one. It's kind of a toss up. Uh, the fact that Oregon State's favored I, is a little odd. Um, but I think uh, I think I might have to go Oregon State in this one. Oh snap! Upset alert, ladies and gentlemen. Mm. Yeah, I. Uh, it's tough because I love Washington. I think they're an amazing team. Um, but Oregon, ah oh, man, Oregon State—the way they're they're so balanced on offense. Um, I think that their run game is going to be enough. To, and we said this before. I I said this about Oregon. I thought Oregon's off run game was going to be enough to keep. Michael Penix off the field, um, control the ball. They were able to, you know, just uh, kind of control the game, keep it low scoring in a sense, and win the game that way. But then when my, whenever the Washington offense rolled out there, they just scored so quickly, it it, it didn't matter. Right. And, and it, man, it, it's a tough one. But Washington's, I think, looked a little bit shaky lately. And uh, I, I like the way that Oregon State's been playing. And the fact, I think that, it's a very 50-50 for me, but the fact that it's at Corvallis, um, mm-hmm. I, I'm going to have to go Washington State. Go Cougs. I mean, Oregon <laughs> State, Oregon State. Oh, goodness. Same thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Back to. You know. <laughs> uh, that This is going to be a, well, I believe it's Pacific time, so 4.30 Pacific time uh, for yeah. this one. It's going to be on ESPN. Um, I... The the thing that makes this interesting for me is Oregon State defense as far as total defense they're thirty second in the country so their their defensive unit as a whole is pretty solid and they're right. they're you know they're giving up three hundred thirty three yards a game um, which it overall is is pretty pretty decent but uh, they're it just so happens that they're going up against the fifth ranked offense in this one with the Huskies um, who have just been a scoring machine this season, or excuse me, the sixth rank they're, they're behind Georgia now after Georgia's big win, 503 yards per game, 7.75 yards per play, 51 total offensive touchdowns. That's just pretty, that's just pretty dang powerful. And then you bring up the statistic about their ranking with the pass game. And that, that just doesn't give me a ton of confidence and when you can't stop somebody like Michael Penix Jr. through the air, uh, I, I that that just gives me concerns. Um, and for me, again, this is more anecdotal, but when Washington's got to know that if they lose this game, their playoff chances are pretty much gone. Even if, even if they beat Oregon in the Pac-12 championship after dropping a game to Oregon State, uh, it still. It, you, I got to like Texas's chance at that point ahead right. of them. I mean, they're, they're a one loss team. They beat Alabama or what if Alabama beats, you know, Georgia, like we were talking about it to me, Washington just becomes irrelevant if they lose this game. And I think coach right. DeBoer and his staff know that. I think Michael Penix knows that if he wants a chance to win the Heisman trophy, that he's got to go win this tough game. So for me, I, I just, I just think the Huskies rise to the occasion in this one and let me be clear this is not an easy pick because i've seen what the beavers can do over the years when it comes to 
just ending a dominant run or ending a team's chances to have a, a big season. They just love playing spoiler in Corvallis. And I, I really like this Oregon State team. But here's the thing. If they get caught in a shootout, give me the Huskies. Because I, I I don't know if I trust DJ Uyungle right. at that at that level. I think he's going to make some big plays and probably beat the Huskies over the top a couple of times. But ugh, my gut just my gut just says the Huskies. I'm just offensively, the firepower is ridiculous, and I think their defense at the end of the day, yes, it's not a good defense, but they will make plays, little plays here and there. And we saw it against USC where they had that big 12 yard sack in the fourth quarter. And that that secured them the win because the Huskies were just going to march down the field and score again. So if the Husky defense mm-hmm. can even get one or two stops, um, I, I think that just shifts massively in favor of the Huskies. So right. I'll take the Huskies in a. I do agree. It's going to be it's going to be a hotly contested game. A lot of points. A lot of excitement. And I could be very wrong here. I think the Beavers could do it. I just I'm just more comfortable with the Huskies at this point. Yeah, no, that's that's totally fair. I'd feel I think Washington's is a little bit more of a a little bit safer of a pick, just given the offense. And I I tend to think that I I lean toward the team with the better quarterback and the better offense. Um, I trust them if it gets into a high scoring game that you know they're gonna come through at the end. Um, I think Oregon State's defense is going to be able to make just enough plays to slow down the offense to where if they can just take a couple possessions away, um, they're fourth in the country in sacks. They've got 36 sacks on the season and they're 22nd in uh forced turnovers a game, almost two a game. I think if they're able to get, you know, a big sack to force a punt or uh, a turnover to just take a couple drives away from them, I think that's going to go a long way and it's going to be the difference maker. So that's kind of what I'm banking on a little bit. Uh, I do, I, I do think that, you know, their Washington's offense is too, it's, it's difficult to slow down straight up. Uh, but I think if they're able to get a couple of those plays, whether it's a sack, a turnover, uh, I think they're going to be able to make just enough plays there to end a couple drives and take a few drives away to where um, they're able to, uh, to outscore an offense even like Washington's. So mm. yeah, again, a tough, tough pick. And I think it could be a really close game, but I I'm gonna lean Oregon State at home. So yeah. R- really exciting game. Indeed. Yep. And again, you can watch that on ESPN folks. Um that's gonna be a great one. Um last thing, Garrett, let's just do rapid fire and then we will call it a day. Sound good? Sounds good to me. All right, Rutgers at number 12, Penn State. Can Rutgers shock Penn State? I mean, their offense is terrible. Their offense is terrible, but I'm going to have to go with Penn State in this one still. I think their uh, their defense is good enough to uh, to take down someone like Rutgers. Maybe not, you know, the elite teams. Their offense uh, can't do enough in those, but I think it's good enough that their defense can carry them through these these, you know, mediocre Big Ten schools. I'm right there with you. Give me Penn State in that one. Uh, how about, uh, well, let's find a number two Michigan at Maryland. Um, you know, this would have been much more exciting earlier in the season. Give me Michigan in this one. Maryland's just really fallen off. Yeah, Maryland's had a really tough stretch after their 5-0 start. So, yeah, give me uh, give me Michigan easily. Yeah. After their dominant performance uh, over Penn State, this uh, 
they've given me full confidence even against uh, an offense like Maryland's. Yeah, Maryland one and four in their last five. Moving on, uh, number fourteen Oklahoma. They just had a big bounce back win against West Virginia, winning that one fifty nine to twenty. They're on the road at BYU. And really the only thing that makes this kind of interesting to me is it's on the road at BYU and BYU. I mean, they're, they just, they're always kind of pesky. They are. um, But I just, yeah, I don't think they're that great of a team. They're five and five. They just got blown out by Iowa state at home. So yeah, I'm pretty, I'm pretty uh, comfortable taking Oklahoma in this one. Well, when you put it like that, now I'm bored. Give me Oklahoma. Uh, <laughs> this one's kind of an interesting one. Louisville at Miami. Louisville is nine and one on the season. Miami, pretty tough, pretty tough out, but they're six and four. Um, gosh, you know what? Give me the give me the Cardinals in this one, just because I feel like grinded out games are their for are their bread and butter, and I just think this is going to be that kind yeah. of fair. Give me the Cardinals. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, they're favored by one on the or half a point. Oh, actually, right now it's Miami by half a point. Ooh. But give me, uh, give me Louisville. This is the game to decide if they go to the ACC championship or not. Mm. Uh, they're ranked tenth in the playoff rankings. I'm sure that you know because th- they're a one loss team that's not yeah. in that conversation for the top eight. They're the I think the only one loss team that's sitting or at least out of Power Five schools that's sitting outside. They're probably thinking like, hey, where's our chance? They beat Notre Dame. They beat Duke. Um, and they're going to get a shot at Florida state if they can win this game. Uh, so I, I kind of like what you were saying with Washington, this is a big game for Louisville to, to lock that up, to, uh, lock up a top two spot in the ACC and, and their minds, I think that they probably are thinking that they're, if they can win out, they're getting a decent shot, which I don't think it's crazy to think if they mm-hmm. can finish 11 and one and then go in and beat Florida state. Who's going to be a top five team at the time? We we think so. Yeah, uh, maybe, maybe it'll they'll be in the conversation as a as a power five winner right. with only one loss. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, big game for them uh, to lock that up to lock up the top two. So, yeah, give me uh, give me Louisville and that one. Yeah, just a lot more to play for there. Um, yeah, it's number six. And I don't respect Miami's home field advantage too much. So agreed. Um, Nobody shows up for the Hurricanes. Really, kind of a sad yeah. deal. I still don't yep, know yep. why they demolished their their previous stadium, but I digress. Yeah, not the best choice, but Six. yeah, again, I don't I don't know why. So, but yeah, yeah, it meets me neither. Um, sixteenth ranked Utah at nineteenth ranked Arizona. Arizona has been on a tear lately, just win after win ever since they found their quarterback. Utah, a little bit more of a mixed bag, but still overall pretty impressive season. Uh, they're coming off a loss to the Huskies, thirty five to twenty eight. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. Or Arizona, we talked about them last week. Uh, they're on a roll. Mm-hmm. Uh, pretty solid win over Colorado. I mean, they've had big wins. Oregon State, UCLA. Mm-hmm. Uh, they played USC really close, played Washington really close. So well, close game uh, against Washington but, State. <coughs> uh, yeah, that was a really tough one. Um, <laughs> I mean, 38 more points in Washington State would have been right in it. <laughs> but uh yeah no i utah is just a tough it's tough to predict how they're gonna go i mean you know they were missing their quarterback then they got blown out by oregon state they got blown out by oregon and then all, they turn around and they put up 34 against usc and beat them 
And then they almost beat Washington last week. It's like, you never really know what you're going to get out of them. So Mm -hmm. yeah, I think the fact that it's at Arizona, Arizona's got the hot hand right now. I'm going to have to go. I'm going to lean Arizona in this one. Actually, I think I'm going to pick the Wildcats, Arizona. Give me the Wildcats right there with you. I honestly think Arizona could finish the season nine and three um, and end up making that prediction right. And being the third best Pac-12 team. We'll see. Um, Wake Forest at Notre Dame. This seems like a game Wake Forest uh, or Notre Dame has dropped in the past, but I mean, it's at home for the Irish. Give me the Irish, in my opinion. Yeah, I think this one's a pretty easy one. I'll take Notre Dame. Wake Forest is just, they're just not a good team. They're, you know, they went 3-0 and at non-conference play, and then they've been 1-6 since in the ACC. Ooh. They only beat Pitt, who's also terrible, so... I, yeah, this is uh this is an easy easy Notre Dame win for me. Kind of an interesting one here. 18th uh, ranked James Madison. They're ten and zero, and they're hosting Appalachian State or Appalachian. Uh, and you know the Mountaineers. They've had a pretty successful season in their own right. Six and four, tough team. Uh, used to these big games. Who do you like there? Uh, I think. I mean, I think James Madison easily in this one, but um, yeah, they uh, it'll be interesting to see just how they play because, you know, they've had a fantastic season and they've been vying to get the um, the ban, their postseason ban lifted because, I mean, this is the best season they're going to they've had in a while. Right. And mm-hmm. they got a chance to make a really good really good bowl game i mean i if i'm not mistaken i'm trying to check right now to verify um they're right behind Tulane as being the second highest rated uh non-power five which i believe the highest ranked group of five team gets to go to a new year's six bowl i don't know which one it is this year but Mm -hmm. um so they were really vying to get that postseason ban lifted because they've got a really good shot at making a New Year's Six Bowl, which would be just an insane leap for them. But uh, the news came out, I believe, just a little bit ago that the uh, their appeals, along with a couple other schools who were appealing the same thing, all got denied. So I don't know if there's any more uh, arguing to be had there, but as far as I can tell, I think that that's, that opportunity is kind of shut. So... It'll be interesting to see how they play given those circumstances that right. they're not going to be able to make it to a bowl game either way. I think they'll still be motivated. Uh, and I think that App State's not a great team. And I still expect them to be um, pretty heavily favored in that one. So I'll, I'll still take James Madison, but I'm definitely interested to see how they respond to uh, to get to that news that, you know, they, they don't have, even if they're 12-0, and 0, um, they mm-hmm. just don't have an opportunity to play in a bowl game. So definitely yeah. it's disappointing. Um, but yeah, it, it is what it is. Or just a, a random, some would say pointless rule from the NCAA Garrison. What are your, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, yeah, I, I personally think that that's just no fun. They should have let James Madison in there. You know, that that's just my pick there um i'm i'm disappointed for james madison like you said this is just a special season that they're having 10 and 0 i mean uh, come on 
let them in. It, 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 that would create some really interesting matchups there. Something we're not used to seeing in college football. Basketball, you see this all the time. But, I mean, come on, college football, that, that, would, be, that would be historic. Let them in, I say. So I'm, I'm pretty disappointed. But the NCAA never ceases to amaze me there. Um, yeah, so, yeah. So, but give me James Madison in this game. Um, and yeah, uh, going to be interesting to see how, how they respond to this disappointing decision. And, uh, yeah, uh, I honestly would have to do more research there uh, as far as the decision overall and see if there's any chance they can get in. But with what I know, I'll take James Madison. So there you go. Yep. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I will say a little selfishly, uh, as a Liberty fan, we're kind of sitting in third right now behind James Madison and Tulane. Uh, I think in the AP, we're ranked 25th right now, um, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, we're 25th. And uh, so, yeah, we're kind of we're right behind. So if James Madison's out, then we're right there with Tulane as far as fighting for that New Year's Six Bowl spot. So, um, you know, that's one less uh, team out of the way for us personally. But I do feel bad for James Madison in, in, the, in another sense. So, but. Uh, keep an eye out for for Liberty potentially making a New Year's Six Bowl if Tulane falters in their last couple games of the season. Interesting, interesting. Well, speaking of Liberty, they're playing UMass right now or uh, this Saturday. Who you got there? Uh, I have to go with Liberty in that one. Uh, Liberty's been dominant this season. They're favored by let me see twenty seven and a half in that one. Massachusetts stinks. Um, we haven't talked about Liberty this season, so I'm just going to talk about how impressive their season's been so far. Rapid fire. Um, this, I haven't, uh, I just want, just want to give them a shout out real quick. Uh, they're, let's see, they're fourth in the con in the country and yards per rush attempt. Mm. And then let me see they're third in the country and yards per pass attempt. So, uh, They've been really dominant on us at both sides of the ball too. So, um, yeah, uh, look for uh, look for Liberty to possibly be in the New Year's Six Bowl this year. Okay, we'll keep an eye on that. I'll go with Liberty too. Um, That's good. That's good. Okay, this one's kind of interesting. North Carolina, Clemson, twenty second ranked North Carolina. It's a tough one. At Clemson. very 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 tough game. At Clemson, though, give me Clemson. I'm right there with you. Give me Clemson. Dabo, when he's like, you better buy that stock now. I'm, I'm buying in on that. <laughs> give, me, give me Clemson. Why <laughs> buy not? Buy low on Clemson. Best investment <laughs> you ever make. There you go. There you go. Uh, Texas at Iowa State. Do you like the Longhorns? I do. I, I think Texas is still... Even with one loss, one of the most well-rounded teams in the country, and uh, Iowa State is not that great. Yeah. So, I mean, it's at Iowa State, and you mentioned it before they could pull off some home upsets in the past, but uh, I'm I'm definitely not going to pick them in this one. So, yeah, give yeah. me Texas. Same here. Different Texas, different time. Give me the Longhorns here. Still vying for a championship spot. And last but not least. 11th ranked Missouri hosting the Florida Gators who are on the pretty much it's looking like if they don't win this one, it's very doubtful Florida goes to a bowl game. We talked about that last week uh, on the road at Missouri. Can they pull off the shocker? Nope. 
Give me Missouri. Right there with uh, you. Love Missouri. I love their offense. Brady Cook, Luther Burden. Uh, they're outstanding. Schrader on the ground, dominant last week. And uh, at home, I, I, don't, I think that they just keep on rolling. I don't think Florida's defense can stop them. So, yeah, give me Missouri. Right there with you. Give me Missouri. Shout out to Kingdom City Podcast. Those Missouri guys, um, you know, that gotta 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 hype them up there. So, Garrett, anything else before we wrap up this week's show? Nothing I can think of. We talked about, I think, pretty much everything. I think uh, I think that's about it. Yeah. Well, there you go, folks. Now we shift to our college basketball. Se- no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. We, we got to keep this. <laughs> got to keep it reasonable here. Folks, that's going to do it for this episode of Game Time with Garrison and Garrett. As always, if you could please find us on Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcasts, leave us that five-star review. I believe we're on Spotify. We're on Google Podcasts. We're on Apple Podcasts. We're on iTunes. Give us that five-star review. We greatly appreciate it. And as always, you can find us on social media, Twitter, or Facebook. Um, look us up, say hello, and until next week, I'm Garrison Hardy for Garrett Thickpin, signing off. Thanks for listening, everyone.